All right, well, good morning, everybody. Look, there's actually sunshine out there today. All right, and you still came to church. That's awesome. Now I know you're committed. We're going to be in Mark chapter, uh, not Mark, we're going to be in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Forgot Mark's on Fridays. 1 Timothy chapter 4, so if you need a Bible, uh, you can gra- uh, we can have one of the ushers get you one. Raise your hand, the ushers will get you a Bible. Anybody need one? Just keep your hand up. We've got a couple of announcements. Um, we've got a uh, home group that's meeting on Mondays at Phil Jones' house. Uh, basically what they do is they just open up the Bible, read a chapter, and they talk about it. And if you want to open up a home group, that's all you got to do is just open up your house. Um, people come over, open the Bible, read a chapter, talk about it. And if you want to have food, that's great. If you want to have coffee, it's up to you. That's your thing. Um, but it's, it's just good for us to get to know each other. And, and that's why we're doing this unity month of having the services combined to, so you guys can get to know each other. We're doing food afterwards. Um, so if you're interested in a small group, see Bill Suggs, or you can come see me. If you're interested in signing up for the Monday small group, there's a sign-up sheet outside, and uh, you're welcome to do that. Um, what? Oh, okay, uh, March 18th, it's a Saturday morning. There's going to be a men's breakfast down at Calvary Chapel, Lahui, and Danny Lehman's going to be the guest speaker. And so um, I think it's like 8 o'clock. I'll find out for sure. Just give me an idea of how many men would like to maybe go to that in a couple weeks. Okay, keep your hands up because they told me to kind of get a head count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. We'll just say 50. Okay. They better bring it with the food. Okay, I'll find out the exact time for that, but I know it's uh, Saturday, March 18th. And we're looking forward to the prayer luncheon that's coming up March 11th on Saturday, which is only about two weeks out. And Pastor Jack Hibbs is going to be sharing at that. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, am I missing anything else? Uh, we're, we're, you know what? We're going to continue uh, going forward with us meeting at this service for now. Uh, everybody seems to be liking it. And you can give us your feedback on what you think of it. But it's just nice to have both services combined together. And good to see all the kids here and everything and to be able to pray over them. So that's been really awesome. And so we got food. If you're visiting, welcome. And, it, and we have food after this. Good time to break bread and get to know each other. So with all that said, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Say amen if you're there. The title of the message is Departing the Faith. We are in some uh, crazy times. This is like, like I've never ever seen before in my life. And in all my years of walking with the Lord, I see the end accelerating faster than ever with the way the world is reacting to the things that are going on today. Um, it seems like Satanic worship is just in your face. It seems like just evil is running rampant in our schools, in our culture. And it's like no one's hiding it anymore. It used to be sort of hidden. It used to be sort of camouflaged. But in these last days, Paul warns us to teach sound doctrine. 
to be in the Word of God, to protect ourselves from seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Because what's been happening in the church at large today is that the enemy is creeping into the church. And a lot of times we think, you know, um, Satan doesn't go to church. And, you know, I see, well, I hear about husbands and wives fighting all the way to church and screaming at each other. And then they almost feel like hypocrites if they come in the church and say, oh, good morning. Oh, praise the Lord. And many times they'll just go home because they feel like hypocrites because they were screaming at each other the whole way there. Well, you know if that was the way we always responded that nobody would be here because husbands and wives always get in arguments and sometimes, you know, the kids start it and then there's just this big whirlwind going in the car all the way here and then you got to put on that Christian face and speak Christianese when you come in. And so I just want to thank you and encourage you. Praise God you came in anyway. Because there's probably something here today for you. And that's why the enemy didn't want you to be here. And what we got to understand is that the enemy doesn't ever just stay in the car. He comes in right with you. So he could be sitting right next to you. And I not, don't look at your husband or wife or whatever. But you know, you know what I'm saying. There's a war going on. There's a spiritual warfare going on right now in this church, in this building that we cannot see. There are angels protecting as the Word of God goes out from the pulpit. There are the enemy that are trying to snatch away the Word of God. They're trying to uh, distract you. They're trying to uh, you know, have somebody send you a text message right in the middle of the message or get you to get up or whatever it is. The enemy does, there's something the enemy doesn't want you to hear today, and we need to hear it. And we need to just seriously focus on focusing. And be tuned in. That's why I always sit in the front. Because I get easily distracted. i got to sit in the front and i just got to focus. Because I don't want to miss anything. And the Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I don't care who's up here reading the Word of God. It's going to be good. And so here we get these strong warnings. We're going to do the whole chapter today, hopefully. Let's start out by the reading of verse 1, chapter 4, 1 Timothy. Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Father, we just come to you this morning, praying that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us. Pour it out on me, Lord God. Pour out your Spirit on me. I I need you to speak through me to these wonderful folks, these beautiful people that love you. And give us all ears to hear what your word is saying to us today, Lord. Word of God, speak. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people says, Amen. Paul's writing this in his day. How much more of a warning for us in our day? I think the Lord is coming really soon. 
I really do. Because I've seen the attack of the enemy on all fronts. I see the craziness that's happening worldwide. And I think that we have witnessed the coming of the Lord sooner than we think in the last couple of years. I think with everything that's been taking place, that I see the world rushing to that end times that God talks about right before the Lord descends from heaven with a shout. And so with that said, the importance of us as parents to pray over our children, to lay hands on them, to be praying to the Father for our children on behalf of them, to give us some insight, some prophecy that we could pray over our child with, to pray that God would empower our children to be mighty men and women for God's glory because, boy, they're facing something like you and I have never faced. And it is so important for us to prepare these young ones in case the Lord tarries. Now, I think the Lord's coming really soon. I really do. And with that said, um, I think that all Christians should up their game. Our love for God, our service to God, how we spread the gospel, to just be looking for every opportunity that God would lay out there for us. His divine calling on our lives to give the gospel out and to help others and to be a reflection of Him. And God wants to use you. There is, there is nobody in here that God does not want to use. And, and I'll tell you what, you may not feel like God can use you, but God likes to blow the minds of people who think that you can't be used by God. And He likes to do great things through you. But you have to be willing. And so that means for us to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow after Him. Because if, if, if Steve's still the most important thing in my life, then Steve's become the God in my life. And I have to die to myself and say, Lord, you know, here's my ideas. Here's what I'm thinking. But Lord, by all means, mess up my plans. I want to do what you want. I want to be empowered by you. And I want to see you get the victory and be glorified. And all he needs is a willing heart. Is that you today? Am I talking to somebody today that has a willing heart to be used by the King of Kings and the Creator of all things? In these last days, we want to go out swinging. And knowing that he's coming soon, we should have a desire and a passion to turn it up a bit. Not to get complacent, but to say, Lord, I want more. I want more. I want to see you high and lifted up. But we know in these last days that we have all of us have had friends and family that have departed from the faith, people that have gone back to the world. It happens. It was happening in Paul's day, and it's happening today. And I have a deep concern for those who are departing from the faith because I think it's going to increase more and more as the world is trying to derail Christians with phony teachings and seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and they come in and they say the name Jesus Christ, but it's not the same Jesus. And they quote a verse that people go, oh, I've heard that verse before. 
and they suck you in. And if you don't know your Bible, you'll be derailed by seducing spirits and doctrines of demons who will actually use Scripture and then send you so off, far off course that you don't know how, how you ever got there. You need to understand that, that not everybody out there that says they trust in Jesus Christ are believing in your Jesus Christ. There's groups out there, pretty much every religious group knows that there's a Jesus, but it's, it's who is the Jesus in their life. So you've got one group that knocks on your door that says, Jesus is Michael the Archangel. That's not my Jesus. You've got one group that will ride up on 10 speeds to your door and they'll tell you that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. That's not my Jesus. You've got the Muslims who'll say Jesus was a great prophet, but he's not as great as Allah and Muhammad. That's not my Jesus. The Buddhists will say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he's not God. That's not my Jesus. My Jesus is God Almighty. He's the Son of God. He's the Creator of all things. He's the King of kings. And He died on the cross for me and He rose from the dead that I could have eternal life. That's the God we serve. So, the enemies sly in coming in and saying the name of Jesus. So you, you go, oh yeah, Jesus. And, and quoting a verse, you go, oh, I know that verse. But if you don't know your Bible, then these false teachers, these seducing spirits, these doctrines of demons will lead you so far astray. You'll be in a mess. And they're doing that to unbelievers today. And I can't tell you how many unbelievers say they know Jesus, but they don't know the Jesus I know. They don't know the Jesus of the Bible. They've been tricked. And there are folks that actually will come to churches and sit and look for new believers so they can come and lead them astray. God forbid. I try to keep my eyes out for those people to run them out. Because they're trying to divide the church. They're trying to cause division. They're trying to mess up a young believer who doesn't know the Scriptures like you know, but just knows that Jesus saved them because He died on the cross for their sins. And that's a start. But the importance of us of getting off the milk. When Paul says that you know some are on the milk, that means a new believer just gets saved, doesn't know a lot of Scripture. They're just psyching about the idea that they got saved. Jesus saved me. I'm saved by faith. I'm saved by His grace. And they need to be fed the milk, the sincere milk of the Word. But if you've been saved for a long period of time, you need to get off the milk and get on the meat. And some of you don't even, you're not even satisfied with meat. You want jerky. Man, you just want to chew on that thing. Yeah. Oh, say love. That's good. And the more you read this, the stronger your faith. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. You say, I want more faith. Read the book. Make time for it. In these last days, there's a lot of deception going out, out there. And churches that were once good churches have now tried to fit in with the culture. We're not to try to fit in with the culture. We want the culture to fit in with Jesus. Jesus. We want to see transformed lives. We don't want to look like the world. We don't want someone to come to the church and say, wow, they look and act just like the world. Why do I need to join that? We should be set apart from the world. I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. 
And God is changing me from glory to glory to be the person that he wants me to be. And I, I should look different when I go out there. But too many churches are changing. They're embracing things that are just like, it's so far from God. Churches are getting away from teaching the word. They're, they're getting into, they're more into experience. My feelings. Well, thank God my faith isn't based on my feelings. Because sometimes I don't feel so safe and sometimes I don't feel so holy. Can anybody relate? Okay, good. It's not just me. I was a little worried. Read the Word of God and you will grow. Turn away from the Word of God and seek an experience and making everybody feel good. You're not going to grow. Here's the thing. You read the Word of God you worship God, you trust His Word, and then you're going you're gonna to feel the experience that the Holy Spirit brings by being faithful to that. That's the benefit. As this world is heading to the great apostasy, we know that one day, and I think it's happening really soon, that that last person will be saved and the Lord will descend from a heaven with a shout, and He will pull all His believers out of this earth, and that will be leaving the earth with the great apostasy, the great turning away. That means everybody who's left is an unbeliever. Now, God in His grace will allow people to get saved during the tribulation as He slowly turns up the heat, and then He turns it up a little hotter and a little hotter. And people respond to the gospel. But when we're taken out, the world is going to be all unbelievers. And people that have heard the word, people who sat in church next to you, just because you come to this church doesn't mean you're saved. It has to be something that took place between you and God. And there's got to be a transformation. A church doesn't save you. Calvary doesn't save you. I don't save you. Jesus saves you. Faith in Him and Him alone. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. you just got to repent of your sins and ask Him into your life. It's so easy. Why does the world complicate it? Why do all these cults and other religions try to derail people and take them through these routes and work for it and earn it and all that stuff? It's sad because salvation is by faith and faith alone. And that's it. It's a gift from God. It's not of works, lest anyone boast. Because listen, if it was by my efforts, we'd all be boasting in heaven. How'd you get in? Ah, oh, well, you know, I jumped on a hand grenade, saved five people. Oh, how'd you get into heaven? I burned up in a building, saving 20 kids. It'd be too much boasting. We're saved by grace and grace alone. Our culture and our society are trying to derail Christians like never before with false teachers there's a lot of phonies out there, guys. You know, there's actually men out there who are making millions of dollars who some of their friends admitted when they were in college that they told them they were going to become millionaires by going into religion. That you can make a lot of money off religion. And it is true. There's a lot of money being made. And, and the world's got involved with the church because it's gotten very corporate. It's gotten big. And they see the money in it. And you've got people that are in the pulpits that aren't for Jesus. They're for money. And there's a lot of false teachings going around like uh, faith prosperity. That's false teaching. That everybody, if you have faith, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. That's not true. 
God never promised us health and wealth. He said, you're going to have tribulation. But I've saved the best for last. When you get to heaven, whoo, oh yeah, you'll be so rich spiritually. You'll be so oh, blessed. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. All things become new. And teaching and the knowing of the word, the truths of God and sound doctrine is so crucial in the life of the believer today. Now last week we talked about leaders in churches. We talked about men and women's roles in the church. We talked about pastors, elders, and deacons. And as I look in the book of Acts, we see that when they appointed deacons for the first time, it was because there was a little confrontation between the widows, the Jewish widows, and the Hellenistic widows. And the boys, God sent the apostles in and they appointed deacons to help those things, help deal with those situations because the elders and the pastors said, listen, it's better for us to be committed to the Word of God in prayer. And so the purpose of a deacon and deaconesses, we saw, men and women, it means servants. The purpose of deacons in the church is to take care of the physical needs of the church so that the pastors and the elders can stay committed to the word and to prayer so the church can grow. Listen, if I'm not growing, then the church isn't growing. We need to grow. Every one of us needs to grow. And pastors everywhere need to grow. Pastors can't level off. They can't become complacent. They can't say, you know what, I've been through the Bible a hundred times. I I think I'm there. Can't do that. Because the funny thing is, is the Bible's alive and living. And every time I go through it, I realize that I'm learning even more now. Because this is the third time teaching the New Testament to this church. And I thought, you know, when I come to books like this, I go, oh, I got this. And then I go back and I look at my notes from 15, 20 years ago. And I'm like, how did I miss all this from 20 years ago? Or, or, you know, I see stuff I've never seen before. That's because the word of God is alive and living. And Jesus is always speaking to us. And you may have read John 3, 16 a thousand times. And then God gives it to you one more time. And you just go, whoa, are you kidding me that God so Love the world, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That should blow your mind. So he warns us in verses 1 and 2 that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in the latter times, Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So, departing from the faith. What does departing from the faith mean? It's when somebody moves away from the Bible as a standard for doctrine, for what they teach, for what they believe, and how they live. When you move away from the truths of the Word of God, you have now departed from the faith. He talks about seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. He talks about lies and hypocrisies. What is that? That is teachers who know exactly what they're doing. That they're lying that they're hypocrites, that they're teaching false doctrine, and there are many of them behind the pulpits today. 
using the word of God to make money, to gain power, to gain authority. They know they're lying. They know they're hypocrites and they're doing it for other motives. And God says, God forbid. And God's going to deal with them. God's going to deal with them. I, I, I fear for people that are like that. I really do. In verse 2, he talks about a seared conscience. A seared conscience that, that speaking lies and hypocrisies having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So when you, when you sear something, you stop something from flowing in a sense. So like if you get like third degree burns, you, you burn the nerve endings and you can't feel anything anymore. When, when you fall back into sin, as a believer, you make a mistake. Everybody's made mistakes. I get it. Whatever it is. You remember you were so on fire for Jesus and then you fell back into something you told the Lord you were never going to do again. And you were so broken. There was tears. You were crying out to God. You're saying, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And God was faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to set you on your feet and say, okay, now go out there and do it right. And then down the road, you did it again. And you were crying. You were upset. And you repented. And God forgave you. And you said, I'm not going to ever do this again. I'm so sorry. And then you did it again. And it upset you, but it wasn't like before. And then you did it again. And you were just kind of like, hey, sorry, Lord. And, and then you got to a place where you could just sin and not even wince. It didn't even bother you anymore. That's a seared conscience. When a Christian gets so involved in their immorality that they just do it and, uh, you know, or, and they even throw up like, oh, I'm, I know you don't like this, forgive me. But that's not sincere repentance. So in the old days and, and even today when people are like in the wilderness and they get a wound and it won't stop bleeding and there's no medical attention anywhere, they will take a, a knife or some iron and they will put it in a fire and they will heat it up and they will stick that that iron on the wound to cauterize it, right? To stop the flow of blood. And when your conscience has been seared spiritually, it stops the flow of truth. Because now you're numb to truth and you're so deep into the lies that your life's become a mess. But praise God as a believer... His arms are open wide and you can come running back and He'll receive you back. There are a lot of prodigals in the church and we're praying for them to come back to the Lord. And maybe you were a prodigal. Thank God for God's grace to allow us back. Amen? When the church comes back to the simple truth of getting the Gospel out, the power of His Word, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see a move of the Holy Spirit in the church. A move of the Holy Spirit in the church. We want that. We see a move, and this move is based on conviction. When, when people's hearts are convicted to do the right thing, we're going to see a move of the Spirit. Too many churches are caught up in experience. They've gotten away from the Word of God. They're into like running up and down the aisles and barking like dogs and howling like wolves and, and flopping on the floor. That's not biblical. 
When we look at the move of the Spirit in the book of Acts, we see when the Spirit moves on a congregation, hearts are pricked, tears are flowing, brokenness has come about, and repentance hits, and God does a mighty work. We don't see anywhere in the book of Acts of people rolling on the floor, barking, howling like dogs, roaring, or carrying on like they're insane. And when you get away from the Word of God and it's all about experience, you've got to make sure the experience is even greater the next week to keep people coming. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, they'll make something happen. What God is calling us to do as pastors is to get you through this Word. That's what's important. This is what's going to strengthen your faith. This is what's going to make you strong. And when false doctrine comes along, you're going to go, wait a minute, I don't see that anywhere in the Word. I don't receive that. We need to be bold in these last days because there's a lot of people out there trying to derail Christians, and you know it. And so, in verse 2, where he talks about speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, verse 3, he says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so, he gives us two examples now of doctrines of demons. Number one, forbidding to marry. Number two, abstaining from meats, abstaining from certain foods. As that, that those two things make you more spiritual. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. That is groups that have made those things up, and it was strong in Paul's day, it's strong today. I see it happening today. People who are forbidding marriage. Oh, well, you know, you'll, you'll be more spiritual if you don't get married. Well, there's, there are those individuals in the Bible who were single, and even Paul, who I believe was married at one time because he was part of the Sanhedrin, but because he became a Christian, his wife may have left him or she may have died. But he said, I can get more done being single. But being single is a gift. God said it's not good for man to be alone. God ordained marriage. So if somebody comes along and says, you know, if you want to be more spiritual, don't get married, don't believe that. Look at the terrible price that Roman Catholicism is paying for forbidding their priests and their leaders to marry. They're not more spiritual. They're pious. I remember one time I was down in Hanalei and we were helping out with the food bank down there. And uh, we were at the Catholic Church, and we were helping with food for the people down in that area. We brought stuff. And I, I started in a conversation with the priest there. And we were getting along really great until he heard me say, yeah, me and my wife. And he's like, you're married? I thought you were a pastor. And I'm like, Yeah. And all of a sudden, he just changed his whole, to whole tune with me. It's sad. God has ordained marriage. God said it's not good for a man to be alone. He that finds a wife finds a good thing. Wives, look at your husband. It wasn't good for him to be alone. <laughs> he needed help. And I want to say this too, those that think they're more spiritual because they eat certain foods are being misled. There's a new age teaching going on around here right now that says Christians need to be vegetarians. 
I've had people tell me that I'm leading the church to hell because I'm not rebuking them to all stop eating meat and repent. And I said, based on what? And they, they said, the Bible says thou shall not kill, and you guys are killing animals and eating them. And I go, you're taking that verse out of context. It's thou shall not kill humans. We should not premeditate murder. Doesn't mean you can't protect your family. If somebody breaks in, they threaten your life, and you take theirs, God's not going to hold you accountable to that. But that's talking about human beings. And then I was told, well, well, in the garden, Jesus said all the herbs are for you to eat, that they were vegetarians. Well, that's true. When, when everything was created and Adam and Eve were in the garden and Adam named all the animals, even the animals were vegetarians. Even the, the animals with sharp teeth, the lions, the, the tigers, the bears, oh my. The dinosaurs, they were all vegetarians. It wasn't until the fall of man that animals started attacking each other and eating each other. It wasn't until the fall of man that God said in Genesis 9-3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Every moving thing. Not to mention all the veggies he gave us, he said. Peter, remember Peter? When he was up on the rooftop in the book of Acts and he had a vision and God let down a sheet from heaven and all this food was coming down and God said, arise, kill, and eat. And what did Peter say? I've never eaten anything unclean. God was sending down pigs, wee! He was sending down lobsters, clacking their claws, and the crab, and shellfish, and shrimp, and scallops. And, and Peter's like, I don't eat that stuff. It's unclean. And God says, don't call anything clean that I've made. Rise, kill, and eat. He had to tell Peter three times. Peter was kind of a three times kind of guy. So you say, why the dietary law then? For their health. Israel in the Old Testament was to be set apart from the world, even down to their diet, because, listen, for health reasons, you know, I don't know about how many of you like your steak rare. Oh, yeah, you're carnivores. I love it. Okay, you can't eat pork rare. You can't eat chicken rare. You can't eat certain shellfish at certain times a year. God did this to protect them for health reasons. But later on, we kind of figured that stuff out. You got to really cook pork and you got to really cook chicken. And you got to really watch different shellfish, right? Now, I don't eat certain things, but it's only because of preference. There's certain, I don't eat bugs. That's the big thing now. I, I don't eat snails. Anybody eat snails? Anybody tried snails? Yeah, that just seems creepy. I don't eat I don't eat liver. I don't eat kidney pot pies. I don't I don't eat anything that filters urine. I'm not into that. But you know, you may be into that. That's cool. But you know, that's preference for me. In verse 4 and 5 he says this, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received Here's the key with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So basically just say grace and eat, right? 
Now, I understand there's people with medical conditions. I get that. I'm, people with diabetes, people with heart things, they, they stay away from meat. You know, they're on vegetarian diets. That's okay. But you're not more spiritual because you're a vegetarian. Matter of fact, Romans says that the, those that eat veg, vegetables are weaker in the faith. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I don't... I'm not, but you, you may do it. You, you may do it because for health reasons, and, and that's a good. You may have to do it for health reasons, and, and that's a good thing. But don't despise me because I eat meat. If it helps at all, I only eat, I only eat vegetarian cows. That's it. Now, there's a lot of nutrition experts out there like never before these days, right? I mean, it's crazy what goes on out there. You can't eat this. You can't eat this. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. You got to take this. You got to take that. They just keep flopping back and forth, right? That's how the science is, right? Oh, this is a for sure. It's absolute. And then a couple months later, nope, it's this. And you're like, I thought a couple months ago that was absolute for sure. No, nope, it's, it's, it's this now. It's always changing. And it almost drives me nuts because if you get too far out there, you can't win with your diet. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. You can't drink milk because there's strontium 90, 90 in it, but you've got to have the vitamin D. You can't eat eggs because eggs are bad for you. But before in the old days, eggs were really good for you. But now eggs were bad for you. And then a few years after that, a few years afterwards, they said now eggs are good for you, but only eat the egg whites. And then somebody said, oh, but all the nutrients are in the egg yolk. You can't eat certain meats. You can't eat this meat because it's got something in it, but you got to have meat because it has this in it, and you need to take your vitamin D to get enough of that, but you got to take that with selenium, but you should take it with coenzyme Q10 too, but don't take that unless it's in liquid form, and always take it with L-carnity, but don't take that with vitamin E, but you need your vitamin E, and then they said we need bioflavonoids because we don't get enough of those, but now they discovered that you get those with blackberries, boysenberries, and, and other berries, and you got to eat a lot of veggies because if we ate more broccoli, we probably wouldn't get cancer. And then we discovered all these things about polysaccharides and monosaccharides, and you need your beta-glucans 1, 6, and 1, 3, and a lack of ferrum is something good to add in there. <laughs> or you could just say grace. <laughs> right? I mean, just make up your mind what you're going to do. I mean, I don't know about you, but last, last night I had a double bacon cheeseburger. I was just like, Lord, just change this into spirulina and bee pollen in Jesus' name. And I ate. <laughs> he says in verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the Word and faith. That's the nourishment that we're really seeking, isn't it? to be nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness for bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having the promise of life that now is and of which is to come, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So he says that it's not about diets that makes you spiritual. It's not about being married or not being married. It's all about the gospel and being in the word of God. It's all about the teaching of sound doctrine. In verse 7, he puts the emphasis is on the word of God. He says, don't, don't, don't get caught up in old wives' fables. 
What's old wives' fables? It's superstitions. Superstitions and traditions of men that aren't biblical. We see a lot of that going on today. All the superstitions that are out there, right? Don't walk under a ladder. That's bad luck. Don't, oh, you broke a mirror. That's, that's years of bad luck. You know? Superstitions that are out there, even in the church. And I grew up a Catholic. I never knew what it meant to be born again until somebody shared the gospel with me years later. And one of the things, there's many things that they're, they're caught up that are not biblical. I love the Catholic people, don't get me wrong. But the system's messed up. And there are Catholic people that are saved. They know what it means to be born again. There's, there's actually priests that actually teach the Word of God. Some have been kicked out of Roman Catholicism because they, they teach the Word of God and they say, you don't need the Catholic Church, you just need Jesus. Praise the Lord. But there's a lot of people being deceived with superstitions and traditions like, like uh, you've got to baptize your infant or else if the infant dies, it won't make it to heaven. You won't find that in the Bible anywhere. We don't baptize infants because the Bible says repent and be baptized and babies don't understand repentance. So when they're old enough to understand Jesus died for their sins on the cross and they can repent and receive Jesus, then God holds them accountable. But we pray of our children because we know God's got them until that age of accountability. So you don't baptize infants. You, you can't light candles for the dead. The dead are dead. You can't pray the dead into heaven. There's no such thing as purgatory. You won't find that anywhere. These are, these are superstitions. These are traditions of men. And you can't go to a priest to ask for forgiveness of your sins. There's only one that forgives. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. You have access to go boldly before the throne of God. Are you taking advantage of that? I hope you are. The emphasis should be on the Word of God. And then, I should just back that up and read it again. He says, But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits what? That didn't sound too powerful. And godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which will come. This is faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. For this, is, this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe these things, command and teach. So Timothy, you're doing good. Command these things. Take, take heed. Be strengthened. Focus on what I've told you. He says, if you're going to labor for something, labor for godliness. There's only one Savior for all men. It's Jesus Christ. And so he says, exercise profiteth little. Well, we, we, we all probably exercise, don't we? It's not saying you can't exercise. But don't make exercising your God. Right? I mean, we're supposed to take care of our bodies because they're the temple of the living God, right? So we take care of ourselves. A body in motion stays in. I thought more of you would have known that. But okay, it stays in motion. 
And there's nothing wrong with working out. There's nothing wrong with doing activities and sports and stuff like that until those things become your priority over God. And I've, I've read statistics that say that every minute we work out, we gain a minute. So I don't know if that works for us anyway. But I, I like to work out. I like to do stuff. I like to be active. I like surfing. I like doing things. There's nothing wrong with that. But I remember there was a time in my life that surfing became more important. And I was a pastor. And this was probably 15 years ago. And I felt myself, I, I found myself just chasing the buoys and chasing the surf and doing this and that. And I got to a place where finally I just repented. And I said, Lord, you know, I've made this like an idol. And I, I want you to be number one in my life. And there was a year that I really didn't surf that much. A couple times, a few times, but I didn't surf that much. And, and then time went by, and I, I, I just felt like my relationship was getting better with God and strengthening, and, and I just thought to myself, I was like, you know what, Lord, I need to do something. I, I, would you be bummed if I just kind of maybe jumped in the water for an hour every day or something or every other day when the surf was going on? And I felt the Lord say, it's okay. And I said, are you sure? And I really felt him say, yeah, it's not your God anymore. I'm your God. And you don't make it a priority over me. And, and that's what's important because there's a lot of people out there that exercises their whole life. And I get that. If that's your business, that's different. That's totally different. But here's my point. If you're more interested in your physical exercise than your spiritual exercise, you got it all turned around. You got it all turned turn around because there's people out there that will not miss a workout but they will put their daily devotional aside and if something's got a budge in their life it's in their schedule it's not their physical workout it's their spiritual workout and listen physical workouts are great but they only benefit you from here and now physical workouts only benefit you now but spiritual workouts benefit you throughout eternity. And God wants you to exercise the Spirit. In verse 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love and spirit, in faith and purity, till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that's in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. And so now in this last portion of chapter 4, he comes and he says, Listen, Timothy, don't let anybody despise you because of your youth. And you know how we brought the kids up and prayed over them? I love watching God work through your kids. I get blown away by some of the things these little kids say to me, which is so profound. When God is speaking through these little ones, you know. And sometimes we as adults, we, we don't want to receive God speaking through our kids. Because how could they know more than us, right? And how dare you exhort me? 
But you know what? God wants to use our kids as much as he wants to use you. And God will speak to a new believer, a young kid, to straighten out one of his older kids. Is that okay with you? Amen. I love these kids in this church, and I see how God's going to be using some of them. I can kind of see that. I, oh, man, I'm just like, yes. And here he's telling Timothy, don't let them despise you because of your youth. Timothy was probably in his 30s at this time. And back then, if you were like under 40, you were considered youth. That's pretty cool, huh? So now in my 60s, I'm just like a young adult. So, But there was a real despising of God using someone in the church under 40 because that was kind of like a, a Jewish thing. You know, the, the rabbis, the teachers would start at 40, their ministry. Um, you know, well, actually, they started at 30. That's right. But there was, there was just this whole idea of, you know, the older you are, the more spiritual you are. But here's the thing. The same Holy Spirit's in me that's in your child. Your kid that's given their life to Jesus Christ the same Holy Spirit that I have is in them. And God will use that young girl or young boy to speak straight to my heart. And I have to be able to receive that. Amen? And so he encourages us in that. And he says, be that example to the believers in the word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He encourages the way till he comes because when he comes, he'll give attention to the and to give attention to the reading and the exhortation of doctrine. And then he says there in verse uh, 14, not to neglect the gift that there was those that laid hands on Timothy and prayed over him. They prophesied over him. I don't know if you've had anybody prophesy over you, but I would ask that you would pray over your children. And that God would give you a word to prophesy over your children. But we cannot neglect the gifts that God has given us. Every one of you has gifts. I I believe everybody's got more than one. Are you using your gift? If you're not, you're hindering the body of Christ. The gifts that God has given you is not for you, but it's for the rest of the body of Christ to bless them, to help them to grow. To be a blessing so God can give you more gifts so you can continue to spread out the gifts. If God can't use you, you become like the Dead Sea. All this good stuff's coming in, but there's no outlet, and God can't use that. God wants to use you, but the things that He gives you, give them away. Give away of yourself. Give away of your time. Give away of your excess. Give away of your funding. Help others. Bless others. Be other-centered and not self-centered. So he warns Timothy not to neglect his gift. And in verse 15 he says, the evidence of progress in our life is when we start to grow and people see us growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Are people seeing you change? Are people saying to you, man, you're changing. Man, you are so different. You're on fire for the Lord. Man, I just see God working in your life. Are people saying that to you? 
Because that's the evidence of progress in our life. But if that progress stops, we're in trouble. If your pastor stops growing, the church is in trouble. If we start, stop growing, we are in trouble. But I can't force you to grow. I can only bring the food to the table and hope that you eat. And to take it back and apply it to your life. Let me ask you this. Is there something in your life that's keeping you from growing? Is there something in your life you need to get rid of because it's getting in the way of your relationship with God? And in verse 16, he basically says, does our life match the doctrine that we teach? Are we living examples of the Word of God? Does our life match the things that are said in the Scriptures? How we live and what we do? Are we an example of Jesus Christ? And then the second half of verse 16 says, continue in them, for in doing this you will save yourselves and those who hear you. What does that mean? How I live affects everybody around me. And when someone sees your transformed life, it is a testimony and a witness that will affect them and could affect them for all eternity. By looking at you and seeing how much you've changed, they will want what you have and you will be able to bring them to the feet of Jesus and it will lead to their salvation. So let me close with this. Do you want more Jesus? Then I have a verse for you. It's a verse for success. It's Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we just pray that it takes root in our hearts today, Lord, in such a different way than ever before, Lord, that we just feel empowered by You and ready to go out and to serve You and to be a vessel, an ambassador for Christ. Lord, fill us up with the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, give us strength. Pour out Your Spirit on everyone that's here today, Lord God. Transform our lives. Keep us growing in the grace and knowledge of You. Keep us having an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit says, Lord. Let us be effective, a light, a beacon on this North Shore that people could come here and hear the truth, and the truth will set them free. Lord, do a mighty work. We want to see revival. We're going to continue to pray for it. Lord, we just pray that Your Spirit would move across this North Shore and just make it so easy. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.